Welcome to the Message Podcast from Church of the Nazarene. We invite you to subscribe for updates and new episodes. You can find us on most major podcast outlets. Visit cotnaz.org for more info. Our worship services stream weekly on Sundays at 9 a.m. on YouTube. You can also find our live stream at cotnaz.org. Our in-person service times are 9 and 10.30 a.m. We have a campus near Harrisonburg at 1871 Boyers Road. We also have a campus in East Rockingham at 414 South East Side Highway in Elkton. In addition, our Spanish-speaking campus meets on Sundays at 11.45 a.m. at that same 1871 Boyers Road location. Check out our website, cotnas.org, for more info. Well, church family, on the screen behind me is a picture of my grandma and grandpa Mills. They really are happy, I think. It doesn't look like it in that picture, right? But um, I, I've mentioned this before. I told some stories about them before, but uh, that's grandma. But uh, I had a very specific nickname for my grandpa. The story goes something like this. My brother, he was the oldest grandchild, and he couldn't say grandpa. So instead of grandpa, he called him grumpy. So having the foresight that my parents or or my grandparents did, they didn't want a whole generation of grandkids calling him grumpy. Um, So they adapted a little bit. I I realized a couple years ago, there was a a certain cat, a grumpy cat that took over the internet. Picture there. I don't know if there's any resemblance there, but long before grumpy cat was grumpy cat, uh, my grandfather had a claim to that name. So you can go back to the, uh, so instead of grumpy, we called him bumpy. Bumpy. I've never met another Bumpy. There might be one out there. If somebody's listening online, please call me if you're Bumpy. But this is Bumpy and Grandma my whole life. And uh, growing up, I was blessed to live near both sets. I had the least amount of time with Bumpy and Grandma. They passed away uh, several years back, over 10 years now. They both passed. Um, and even though I had less time with them as a kid, I have some fun memories. So my grandma, the coolest thing about her, I know you're looking at her saying, I can tell she's cool. The coolest thing about her, she loved to play Nintendo. Now, as a child of the 80s and 90s, that was incredibly cool that my grandma played Nintendo. She had her own Nintendo, not for the grandkids to play. I don't think I was ever allowed to touch it. It was for her to play so we could sit and watch her play. She loved to play golf and bowling on the Nintendo. That was kind of weird. It was kind of cool. And speaking of bowling... Uh, it was the only sport that she would watch or cared about on TV. I'm not even sure. Can we have a, a show of hands? If you think bowling is a sport, could you raise your hand? Those are the people that are good at bowling. The rest of us don't think it's a sport. Anyway, that's the only thing. She would be watching it, and I'm like, what is, I didn't even know that was on TV, but she loved to watch bowling on TV. Grandma uh, did most of the talking. Um, she, sometimes Bumpy would get a word in. Sometimes he was happy to let her talk. Uh, But most of the time, he just couldn't get a word in because she would just speak, sometimes for him. But he was a really sweet man. He had um, such a quiet strength, a patience about him that I admire the older I got, especially because he had to live with grandma. Uh, But one thing my grandma used to complain about, uh, he was 87 years old, I can remember this, and uh, he had Parkinson's and he was in the later stages, so his body was failing, but his mind was sharp. And she used to complain at 87 years old that he still ate three meals a day. 
Can you imagine the audacity of an 87-year-old man eating three meals a day? We would take them out to dinner, and uh, she, would, she would always say that they were going to split a meal. I think he could have eaten his own meal. He didn't have a choice. She would just say, we're going to split, and he would just nod and look down, right? But, but I say all that to say family, family is just funny, isn't it? It's funny. Okay, we can use a different word. Family's weird. Families are weird. My family's weird. And look, your family, I know you're looking at me like proud and my family's not weird. Your family is weird. Every family is weird. And sometimes you don't realize how weird your family is until you get around others. Like me, I didn't realize it's weird that my grandma made three different kinds of jello salad every Christmas, right? I didn't realize that it's not normal to have to sit and watch as your grandma plays Golf Master 2000, right? My family is weird, and the truth is your family is weird too. All month long, we've been talking about family. Family. We started at the beginning of September with this focus on family. Why? Because families need help. And the reason I know that is because you tell me. You tell me. You tell me. When you ask for prayer often in our church, you're asking for prayer for your family. When you're sharing in your life groups, it's often about your family. Even throughout this series, as we've been journeying together, many of you have shared how much you've been impacted. Why? Because family is important. It's a foundational part of our lives. So we began this series at the beginning of September with two extremely foundation but very basic truths. The first is this. Everyone has family. You may be a parent and you may not be. You may be a sibling. You may not be. Some here today are divorced or or widowed. Others are grandparents, aunts, uncles. We are all sons and daughters, some with parents that are still with us and others that are not. It looks different for each of us, but this series means something to each of us because each of us has family. Each of us. Each of us understands this, the weight of this message, this journey. Uh, The second thing, though, is that family is messy. It's true. Your family is messy. And if you were to show up at the Mills family Thanksgiving at my parents' house, you would walk in the door and your first thought would be, wow, isn't this a sweet family? And then five minutes later, you would say, wow, isn't this a messy family? Because all families are messy. And I say that knowing that my mom is probably going to listen to this message. Hi, mom. I love you. Family is messy. Listen, listen, uh, that, that's why in this series we're talking about family values because we want to talk about what does it mean for us to be faithful it, it, when it comes to our families. What does it mean for us? We believe God has help and he has hope for our families. That's true today. I want you to know that. God has help for our families. He has hope for our families, no matter how messy your family is. And so this series we're talking about what does that look like? What does it mean for us to turn to to God's truth, his word, his foundation for our families? And so we began talking first in our series about building our families on Christ. What does that mean? And we talked specifically about building family on the foundation of God's perfect love. If you want your family to be centered on Christ, it begins with his perfect love, his holy love being poured out into you and through you. That's what your family needs. Your family needs the love of Jesus poured out into every moment, every conversation, every opportunity. Pastor Billy in week two talked about what it means to build our families on the foundation of God's word. We need his word, his truth as the foundation. Listen, you and I right now are instilling values in our family. Whether we realize it or not, whether we're being intentional or not, we are instilling all kinds of values. Even if you're not a parent, You are part of shaping 
what your family values, what your family celebrates, what your family makes time for. Your family is being built on something. And so this series is really about us making sure that we're building our families on the right thing. And so today, uh, we really conclude this series by talking about today one of the greatest gifts that you can give your family. One of the greatest gifts that you can give your family. I can't say exactly how old I was the first time I received it. It was probably earlier than I could remember. In fact, I've really lost count of how many times I've received this gift. But what's so true about the gift we're going to talk about today? It's not just one that you will need. It's also one that you will give. You'll have to give. I've needed this gift as a kid. (laughs) Then as a teenager, as I made mistakes, some bad choices. I've needed this gift as a husband and as a father of four. Doesn't have it all figured out. I've needed this gift as a son, even in my older age, as a sibling to my brother and two sisters. And time after time... I've received this gift, but I've also had many opportunities to give it away. Today, I want to talk to you about the gift of grace. The gift of grace. It's a gift that can truly change your life and I believe change your family. Specifically, let's talk about today the role that grace should have, must have in our families. So we're going to dive into the word in just a minute, but first, a disclaimer. Because whenever you talk about relationships, and specifically family, and today we're going to talk about grace in our family, I think we have to acknowledge that some of us, many of us in here have been hurt by family, but some of us today in the room have been deeply hurt. Maybe you've even experienced abuse within your family. And so I want you to know today, we're going to be talking about what God's Word says about grace, how we extend grace in our family, but I want you to hear today... (laughs) I want you to hear uh, that we are not called to be doormats. We're not called to be victims of abuse. And grace means we just continue to allow ourselves to be hurt again and again. I'm grateful uh, for professional counselors who can walk with us. I'm grateful that we have here the ministry of Celebrate Recovery, which is helping people who have been hurt learn to set boundaries and walk in freedom and hope. And so please today, don't hear what I'm not saying. Grace doesn't mean we let ourselves be victims of abuse. And I want to say that so clearly now because I want to dive into the word together, okay? If you were here uh, last weekend for family weekend, uh, we were in Hebrews 12 on Saturday evening. So I'm going to invite you. We're going to start there, Hebrews chapter 12. Pastor Kevin, we were swimming in the deep water of grace and mercy and forgiveness. And and on Saturday evening, we just briefly touched on this verse, and I'm going to look at it. uh, Hebrews 12, verses 14 and 15, and we're going to be jumping to Colossians in a minute. But let's start here. Uh, Look at what it says here. Make every effort to live in peace with everyone and be holy. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. Let's stop here in verse 14 and remember what holiness is. It's kind of a church word, right? That's a biblical word. That's a big word, a heavy word maybe for some of us. What what does that mean? God is holy. We know that. And we know that we're not. On our own, we're not holy people, right? On our own, we're broken and sinful people. But God is holy. So, So through Jesus, God's word says through Jesus, God imparts his holiness to us. He pours his holy love into our hearts on our own. We're we're selfish and sinful and incapable of being like Christ. But if we ask him, he can purify our hearts. He can make us more and more like him through the process we call entire sanctification. So uh, Hebrews starts here by talking about this call to be holy. And the instructions here are to live at peace 
with everyone, to seek peace out in our relationships. Now look at verse 15. See to it that no one falls short of the grace of God, that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. This is a very relational text. It doesn't say make sure you don't fall short of the grace, right? That's good. That would be important. But it says it's a communal uh, instruction here. This is an instruction to be lived out in community. Yes, you could say within your family. It doesn't say you don't fall short. No, no, no. Make sure that no one falls short. No one within your influence. Yes, yes, even within your family. I love how the New Living Translation uh, says, verse 15, look after each other so that no one fails to receive the grace of God. What a good word that is. Look after one another so that no one fails to receive the grace of God. This idea of grace that we're talking about today is so important. We're to look after each other, to care for one another, to love one another, to make sure that everyone gets to receive this gift. This is a gift for everyone. Everyone is included. Grace is a gift. You really can't define grace without defining it as a gift. Unmerited favor is a way. Uh, Our life groups are going through a series talking about this idea of grace. And grace is first and foremost a gift, but it's God's gift. It's God's idea. He demonstrated grace through Jesus. Jesus' gift, his death and resurrection. This is what Ephesians 2 said. It is by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not from yourselves, right? It's a gift. It's not of your own doing. It is the gift of God, not by works, so no one can boast. Grace is a gift. It's a gift. God's gift of grace is a free gift, but listen, it had a cost. It was a free gift given to us for free, but but it cost. It cost Jesus his life. It cost him everything. What a gift of grace we have been given. That's why Hebrews says, look after each other so that none fails to receive the grace of God. You would not be misinterpreting that text to read, look after your family, (laughs) to ensure that none fails to receive the grace of God. This gospel story is a story of grace given for us, and in turn, we respond. So the question really today is, the question is, how does the grace of God impact our relationships and our family. How does this gift of grace show up in our family? So we're gonna, we're gonna dive in now to Colossians, Colossians chapter three. I've said everything I've said to get us here. So turn with me, Colossians chapter three. Our U version event is set up today. You can follow along there. But we're gonna be looking at uh, just three verses today. Uh, Paul's writing a letter to a church, to a community, and, and he's giving them instructions on relationships. These are relationships in their community, in the church, and yes, specifically within their family. So let's begin in verse 12 of Colossians chapter 3. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy, there's that word again, and dearly loved. God's chosen people. God's holy, listen, God's people that are filled with his holy love, right? God's dearly loved people, those that have received the gift of grace. That's who he's talking to. Those of you that know grace and have received it, you're dearly loved. What's the instruction? What should these people do? It goes on to say, clothe yourselves. Clothe yourselves with compassion and kindness, 
and humility and gentleness and patience. The imagery here is like putting on a garment. Some of you thought really, really hard as you got dressed today. Some of you, I can tell, didn't think quite as hard. I'm just kidding. Uh, some of us didn't think quite as hard. It was just like we smelled it. It was clean. Let's go. But, but the instructions here are we're putting on these things, the compassion and the kindness and the humility. What we're putting them on as intentionally as we would our own clothes as we get dressed in the morning, that we're wearing compassion around. Think about that. Think about the implications of that in your family, that you're wearing compassion around with you. You're wearing, you're being clothed in kindness and humility. That's the instructions being given here to be lived out in community. Wearing patience. Man, what a call that is for me to wear patience around in my relationships with others. And at this point, you might be saying, man, that's good, Adrian, but what about grace? Paul doesn't mention grace specifically, but now listen to the implications the rest of the text here in verse 13 and 14. This next word, this first word in verse 13 is, is worth circling and leaning into. It says, bear with each other. I don't know what version you're reading. I'm New International Version. It says, bear with each other. We're going to get back to that word in a minute. Forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them together in perfect unity. Look at that word again at the, at the beginning of verse 13, bear. It's important. It's important. Uh, extending patience is a good way to define it. But even more, that word implies suffering. It implies suffering. That, that you are to suffer with someone. The idea here. The idea here is that you are extending patience even to the point of suffering. What a call that is. What a, what a picture that is. That your patience, your grace that you're extending to that person, suffering, it hurts. Listen, God's word isn't arguing that extending grace to one another is easy or simple. It's not. The word of God calls us to bear with one another, extending patience, not insisting on our own way. Just as, listen, the, the sacrifice of grace cost the father everything, cost him his son. Extending grace in our own families is also a sacrificial act for the good of the other person, the good of the family. Really, God's word is saying, extending grace requires something of you. It requires something of me. It cost us something. It might hurt a little bit. It might feel a little bit like suffering in the moment to extend grace. It's not a cheap gift. It's not an easy gift. It wasn't for Jesus and it isn't for us. But just as we have received, we freely give. Because families are filled with flawed people. You can say amen to that, right? Families are filled with flawed people. This extension of grace is a mandatory value within our families. We have to. We have to extend grace because our families are flawed, right? Not only that, but they're different from you. Your family is different from you. You're in a family filled with people that are not like you, not exactly like you. They have different styles and perspectives. And if you expect everyone in your family to think and act like you, you're going to be really, really frustrated. I don't have to tell you that. You know that to be true. That's why grace is the antidote. It's the antidote. Can I tell you one of the problems that I see when I think about grace and I think about all relationships, but specifically with, within family, 
I think the problem is that for many of us, this is true for me, I think it's true for many of us, we view so much of our lives through the lens of transaction, of transaction. You may say, what, what are you talking about, Pastor? Let me explain it to you. Some, there's even a, a popular perspective I was reading about this week where some would say everything in life is a transaction. Think about it. You invest time to get time. You invest attention to get attention. You invest money to get money. This idea that everything in our lives is an exchange. It's a transaction. And can I be honest? I, I, I kind of operate within relationships like that a lot. More than I would care to admit. When it comes to relationships, it's easy for me to view through that lens. I love the people who love me, right? It's a transaction. You love me? I love you too. Yeah. You're generous to me? I'm going to be generous to you kind to me, I'm gonna be kind to you. You pray for me, oh, I'll pray for you. We don't view it, we don't talk about it like that, but it's often through this lens of transaction, right? And sadly, the opposite is true sometimes. You hurt me, I'm gonna hurt you. That's, that's all very simplistic, but it's often how we view relationships. But there's two really big problems with that idea of viewing our relationships and operating as if they're a transaction. The first is, that's not at all what family is about. We don't get to choose our family, right? But God has entrusted us with them. Think about it right now. God has entrusted you with your family. They're yours. <laughs> you can't get rid of them. They're yours. God has entrusted you with your family. And so we can't, we can't give up on each other. We can't view our family through this lens of what have you done for me? That's not a way to live. But the second reason that this idea of transaction is broken is because that's not what grace is. Grace is not a transaction. That's not how God treated us. It's not how he calls us to treat one another. The psalmist in Psalm 103 challenges us to consider that God doesn't treat us as our sins deserve. That would be a transaction, right? I mess up, now I get what I deserve. I fall short, now I get what I deserve. But God's word, the, the good news of the gospel is God does not treat us as our sins deserve. That's what we deserve, but God didn't give us that. That would be a transaction. That the payment, the wages for sin is death. I deserve death. But that's not grace. And that's not how God treats us. So in our families, we don't keep a ledger. We don't keep a score sheet. We don't in our mind calculate what have they done for me versus what I've done for them and where is there a balance. We can't operate that way because that's not grace. We give grace time and time again. We bear with one another, suffer with one another. That's, that's the biblical call to relationships and yes, to our family. Far too often in my life, grace is not my first thought. <laughs> It's not my first action. It's not my first response. My first response is not grace. It's not. But do you know there's, it's, I could preach a whole message on this, but it's, it may not sound that exciting or inspiring, but if you just look at the Apostle Paul, and, and we know he wrote a lot of letters to a lot of churches, but time and time again, at the beginning of the text, at the beginning of his letters, he uses this greeting. And he doesn't just do it once. In fact, he does it almost every single time he writes a letter. He begins by saying, grace and peace to you. 
Time and time again, different context, different church, written at different times. Time and time again, right there in the opening paragraph of the letter, of all the things that he could say, he begins by saying grace and peace. Grace and peace. And again, there's a whole lot that that means, and there's a lot of depth and beauty to that. But I just want to focus on this idea that Paul gives grace the first word, (laughs) Of all the things, and look, he says some hard things too. He corrects them, he challenges them, he encourages them, but he calls them out oftentimes about things they're doing that are not. But before he says any of that, he gives grace the first word. He leads with grace. I'm not talking about leadership. I I mean the direction, the movement, that the first thing he speaks is grace. Time and time and time again. I was thinking about in my relationships with my family, what, what do I lead with? What, 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 what gets the first word? <laughs> Far too many times. My relationships are a transaction. I respond to you how you respond to me. I do for you what you've done to me. But that's not grace. What would it mean for us to be a people that lead with grace, that we let grace have the first word Even when it's hard, we bear with one another. I want to share with you today a story of grace. I was 10 years old. I was in fifth grade at Fallen Creek Elementary School in Richmond, Virginia. And it was the first and only time that I got sent to the principal's office. Maybe that's shocking. Maybe you thought a character like me ended up there uh, all the time. But this was the only time, only time in my life I ever had to take that walk of shame. And I didn't have to take it alone. Me and three of my buddies, I I guess I could call them friends, although on this particular day, we weren't really making good choices together. (laughs) So uh, the four of us were outside at recess together, and now we're taking what seemed like that very long walk to the principal's office after recess. Listen, what we did was not kind, and it was wrong. I, I don't remember whose idea it was, but we thought it would be funny to goof off a little bit outside, we're playing tag, but the Girl Scout troop got brand new denim bucket hats with a big gaudy rose. Some of you might think they're beautiful. I thought they were the ugliest things I'd ever seen. But in fifth grade, they were wearing their hats outside and they were so proud. And so I don't know whose idea it was. I don't think it was mine, but it doesn't really matter. We thought it would be really funny to play keep away with their brand new Girl Scout hats. And for 15 or 20 minutes, we had a ball. We were running around, screaming, having a good time. And we probably would have been fine, except for Rosemary. Rosemary uh, was perfect. I really think she's probably a perfect human being. Uh, She was the teacher's pet. She did everything perfect. She was the kid in fifth grade that would raise her hand and remind the teacher that she hadn't given us homework yet. You know people like that? Some of you know people like that. That was Rosemary. So, so Rosemary, her particular hat on that day, we probably would have gotten away with it except somewhere in the keep away, throwing, passing around, the gaudy, giant rose, whatever flower it was, fell off her hat and she began Weeping, You would have thought someone shot her dog in the middle of recess. I mean, she is inconsolable. And so now we're taking the walk of shame down to the principal's office. I don't remember much uh, about 
all of this experience, except I remember sitting there and I remember feeling terrible about myself. That was my first thought, is how bad I felt about myself. My second thought was, please, please, please don't call my dad. Those were my two thoughts. One, I felt terrible about myself. Two, please don't call my dad. You can call anyone. Open up the phone book, pick any number, any name, any person. Call them, but don't call. Please call my mom. Please call my grandma. Please call anyone with a pulse, but not my dad. But sure enough, they called my dad. And they thought, since it was the end of the day, it would be fitting that the parents have to come and pick us up from school. So I remember my dad shows up and he walks in and principal updates him on what's happened and now it's time for what will feel like the longest ride of my life from school to home. I think it was like eight minutes, but it felt like the longest ride of my life. My dad didn't say anything. I didn't say anything. I wasn't looking to strike up conversation. But I remember as we pulled into that drive, I was 10 years old, feeling ashamed, feeling embarrassed. I remember pulling into the driveway. Again, we've ridden home pretty much in silence. And I, as, as we pulled into the driveway, I just couldn't hold back the tears anymore. I was in the principal's office. I didn't want to cry in front of my friends. I didn't want to, but the, the tears just start flowing down my face. And I'm looking down. <laughs> I don't want to look at my dad and I'm crying. I felt awful. I felt ashamed. I knew I was in trouble and I just began to cry. So my dad in that moment, uh, now, now let me say this. Um, my dad believed in, in discipline. My, my parents did. Once, I don't even know what I did. Once I spent an entire week in my room, I got to come out to use the bathroom and eat and go to school. But other than that, I had to be in my room. So my parents believed in discipline. <laughs> And I just knew in this moment, I was in for it. But my dad did two things that day. First, he told me I was gonna go in and write a note of apology to all the girls. Understood. But then, he said, son, look at me. My dad knew I didn't wanna look at him. But he made me, that tears flowing down my face, sitting there in the truck, and he said, son, look at me. And I look him in the eyes and he said, son, I think you made a big mistake today. And I'm, <laughs> he said, how about we try better tomorrow? And he gets out of the truck, slams the door and walks into the house. And that was it. Now on that day, what did I deserve? I don't know that I deserved a week of punishment in my room, but I, I knew <laughs> I had some consequences coming and I had some, but I, I, I knew, man, I knew my dad is gonna give it to me. My dad is gonna tell me how disrespectful and not thoughtful. I, we didn't raise you to be, I, I knew all of the things that I deserved to hear in that moment. But in that moment, you know what my dad gave me? Grace, grace. And when you receive grace, it's the most beautiful gift that you can receive. When you feel the weight of what you've done and what you deserve and the consequences that should be coming for you, but instead you get grace. I, I'm, I'm telling the story now and I've got chills because I'll never forget that feeling of receiving grace. Today, when you think about your family, when you think about your relationships, when you think about the people that God has entrusted you, 
to love, to care for. It looks different for all of us, doesn't it? And, and extending grace in your family will look different for each of us, right? Doesn't mean we don't have consequences. It doesn't mean everybody just do what you want. But it does mean when we've received such a gift from our Father, we give that gift away. We lead with grace. We get up in the morning and the first thought, a first prayer over our family is grace and peace to you. Grace to you. Grace to you. It's overflowing out of us. We lead with grace because that's what's been done for us. That's what's been given to us. Today, I want to give you an opportunity to receive grace and to give it away. I believe it'll change you. I believe it'll change your family. Thank you so much for listening today. You can email us at info at cotnaz.org for any questions about our church. When you're done listening today, please subscribe to this channel for updates and new episodes.